0: Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Oranogo. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning. I want to start today by telling you a story um, about a young woman, a girl, growing up in Eastern Europe, several decades ago. Her name was Agnes. And Agnes grew up in a very loving home. She had a mother who loved her, a sister that she was very close to. Um, She had a father who was a successful politician, local politician, but he uh, unfortunately died when she was young, died when she was eight years old. But by really any standard of measurement, Um, Agnes grew up in a pretty comfortable, pretty loving, and pretty affluent home. But then when Agnes turned 18, she made a decision, which on the surface seemed crazy, radical. She decided to leave home and uh, would never see her mother or her sister ever again in the rest of her long life. And she moved from her comfortable, affluent world into a completely different part of the world. She found herself living on the streets of Calcutta, serving the sickest of the sick, the poorest of the poor, the most neglected and outcast in society, sometimes even reduced to begging for her own food. And this was where she would spend the rest of her life living amongst the poor and the outcast. And of course, you know her, maybe, as Mother Teresa. But on the surface, from the outside looking in, you look at a decision like that, to leave comfort, to leave safety, security, affluence, to leave that behind and to adopt a completely different life, on the surface, it just seems so radical, so strange, so, most, so almost crazy, and you have to wonder what would cause, what would lead a person to make such a decision in their life? Well, to a great extent, the answer to that question is what this series that we're beginning today is all about. So you see, because what looked so strange from the outside looking in made perfect sense to Mother Teresa because she had a particular way of seeing her world. She had a particular way of seeing her life in the world. And and this particular way of seeing the world made it such that her decision wasn't an unusual decision at all for her. For her, it was the only decision possible. Just listen to the way she describes her work in her own words. She said, I try to give to the poor people for love what the rich could only get for money. No, I wouldn't touch a leper for a thousand pounds, yet I willingly cure him for the love of God. Each of the poor, she said, is really Jesus in disguise. Let us touch the dying, the poor, the lonely, and the unwanted according to the graces that we ourselves have received and let us not be ashamed or slow to do the humble work. The miracle, she said, is not that we do this work, but that we are happy to do it. See, this young girl, Agnes, understood something profound in her life. She understood that beliefs have Consequences. Beliefs have consequences, and I want to introduce you to a concept this morning. Which, at the outset, it might sound, might sound a little bit academic. It might sound maybe even a little bit philosophical. But if you just stick with me this morning, I, I promise that it'll eventually start to click. It'll start to make sense. Okay, the concept is the concept of worldview. The concept of worldview. And here's what a worldview is. Here's, here's my best shot at a quick definition for worldview. A person's worldview is the, it's the full set of assumptions, beliefs, presuppositions that a person has about themselves, about the world, about God, about their place in the world. It's that full set of beliefs. And every single person has a worldview. Everybody has this set of assumptions, this set of beliefs about who they are, about what the world... You know, beliefs about questions like, for instance, is there a God? Does God exist? And if God exists, what does God think about me? Does God love me? Does God care for me? Beliefs like, what do I what do I think about other people? Are, do I think of other people as being useful or as being special? And there is a world of difference between the two, you realize. Or questions like, What do I believe about myself? Am I simply a happy accident of the universe, a highly evolved animal, or am I made precious in the image of God? Questions like, what is meaningful? What brings my life purpose? What is the definition of the good life? What does the good life even look like? Or questions like, what gives me hope? This world is a messy Place And I am a very messy person. So what, is there anything worthwhile in this world that I can reasonably place my hope in? Worldview is the answer to those types of critical questions. Those types of life-changing questions. Big questions. Audacious questions. So a worldview is the full set of assumptions that we have. The belief system that we have that gives shape to the way that we see the world, the way that we see our lives in the world. Well, let me give you a metaphor that'll maybe make this make a little bit more sense. The metaphor that we're working with in this whole series is the metaphor of corrective lenses. Um, I am right now wearing contacts. Um, I wear contacts most days. Some of you in here are wearing contacts as well. Now, if you're anything like me, when you put your contacts in in the morning... You really put them in your eye, and then you forget about them the rest of the day. You're not even aware of them unless somebody like me comes along and starts talking about them. Then you're aware of them. But most of the time, you're not even aware that you're wearing contacts. Um, But they are affecting the way that I see you right now. The contacts that I have in my eyes, they are affecting the way that I see you. Whether I acknowledge it or not, whether I realize it or not, it changes the way that I see my world. And that's sort of how worldview functions. A worldview, even if we're not aware of it, even if we don't realize that the, the beliefs that we have, the assumptions that we have, the presuppositions that we have, it affects the way that we see our lives. It affects the way that we see our world. Let me just give you an, uh, an illustration of this. When I was um, young, like in junior high, I'll never forget the first time we went on a family vacation to uh, Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. We saw the, the Tetons stretched out in front. And I remember thinking, even as a young man, because I had a worldview that was shaped by my parents, centered on Jesus, centered on God, I remember looking at these, these mountains, even as a young man, and thinking to myself, my goodness, isn't God amazing? It, it was blowing my mind just how beautiful, how amazing, how huge. And this took my thoughts to God. God the creator of those mountains. So when I saw those mountains, I started thinking about God. But then another person over here, okay, imagine another person over here that doesn't have a worldview where he sees the world through the lens of God. Instead, he sees the world as an atheist who doesn't believe in God. He might be blown away by the mountains. He might be in awe of the mountains. But at the end of the day, they're just very, very large piles of rock, And so you have two people seeing the exact same thing, but they see it in two radically different ways. This is how worldview affects us. It affects the way we see our lives, the way we see the world. Every moment. Think about what happens in this room, just as another example. Now, some of us who have been doing church for a while, and I would throw myself into that boat, some of us who have been doing church for a while, sometimes we forget just how weird we are We forget how unusual it is, the things that we do in this room. So let me expose that weirdness for you this morning. Um, We gather together in a room like this, and we stand up, and we sing publicly. We sing songs, which is strange. You've got to understand, that's strange, okay? I'll sing in the shower, maybe. I'll sing in my car, perhaps. Um, But to stand up publicly for everyone else to hear, this is an unusual moment, okay and i could see it on your faces a lot especially okay especially with the guys a little bit more so it's just kind of an awkward like it's just weird that i'm here and i'm singing and everyone can hear and maybe i'm a little bit insecure about my voice maybe i don't think i have the best voice in the world and so like it's just kind of strange or think about communion have you have you thought about how strange communion is it's weird so we'll stop in the middle of our service we'll get super quiet and we'll pass trays with little shot glasses of grape juice and little chiclets of bread, and then we'll move on. And we call it a meal, of all things. It's, It's weird. Or you think about offering. Offering. In the midst of this economy, in the midst of this culture, that we would gather together and we would willingly and even cheerfully place something of what we earned in a little bag as it's passed by us, I mean, you got to realize the world looks at that and they're like, that's weird, that's an unusual decision. Or think about baptism. We have a dunk tank in the middle of our room. Well, not in the middle, but kind of off to the side. Like, well, like, we'll stop service and we'll dunk somebody in a tank like a carnival. And we'll cheer and we'll applaud. And it's weird. You realize that's weird. But you see, when, when I look at it, and when many of you look at it, you look at it through the gospel lenses. And so when you, th- when you think about singing, when you think about singing and you realize just how majestic and amazing and powerful our God is and how he created us and how he loves us and how he redeemed us, how can we do anything other than to lift our voices in praise and adoration of him, even if we're not terribly secure in our singing voice? Or you think about communion. To us, it's not just juice and bread, is it? When I look at communion through the lens of the gospel, it changes. And I see the body and the blood of Jesus. And I remember and I celebrate the sacrifice that he made on my behalf and the hope that I have because of him. Or you think about offering. When I I recognize and when I believe that everything that I have is a gift that has come from God, that nothing that I have is my own? How can I do anything other than to give back as an offering of praise, cheerfully even, to my God? Or think about baptism. I cried like a baby the day my daughter was baptized. What would make a grown man cry when dunking his daughter in a tub of water? It's because I see it in a different way. I see it as a gateway to eternity. I see it as a moment where we publicly identify ourselves with Christ and his sacrifice and his salvation. The gospel changes the way we see the world. This set of lenses. So one person sees it in another way, another person sees it in a different way, and that's how our worldview functions in our lives. Now the thing about contact lenses, most of the time we're completely unaware of them, right? The only time I'm aware of my contact lenses is two occasions. When some, Number one, when something gets caught up underneath them it causes an irritation in my eye. You know what that feels like. It's not pleasant. It's like somebody's sticking a needle in your eye. Um, the other moment is when my eyes have changed. Necessitating a new prescription. It's in those two moments where I become aware of my contacts. Um, I, w- I went to the eye doctor not too long ago um, because my, uh, one of my coworkers made the comment, you know, you're sitting awfully close to your computer screen. And I it's like, yeah, I kind of am, aren't I? I mean, things just doesn't look quite as clear as it used to. So I went to the eye doctor, and um, on the full spectrum of doctors, eye doctors are the ones I like the best, because I've never been given a shot by an eye doctor. Um, now, what they, what they do, however, is, you know, there's two things that I don't like about going to the eye doctor. One is the, the puff of air in the eye, right? I don't even know what it's called. I don't even think it does anything. Like, that's the secret among eye doctors. Like, they all think it means something, but it really doesn't. <laughs> you know, just watching in the other room. Oh, made another one jump. Like, because you know it's coming. You're trying to keep your eye open. You're like, nope, sorry, you shut your eye. Try again. I'm like, oh, God. all right. No, sorry. You shut it again. Sorry. You're gonna have to. And they're just—they're just messing with you. Um, but the other thing that I don't like is the one versus two challenge, like in our video here, because I'm just so terribly certain that I'll get it wrong, and I—I I know that I'm going to spend the rest of my year thinking to myself, "I should have gone with one." <laughs> I just know that I should have gone with number one. Um, you know, this is, how, this is how worldview functions in our lives as well. Most of us are not aware of the beliefs and the assumptions that we hold until, number one, something bad happens. A tragedy strikes, we lose a loved one, we go through a divorce, we lose our job, tragedy strikes. And at that moment, we become painfully aware of the beliefs and the assumptions that we've been holding, and we, we're forced to reevaluate them. We're forced to really, maybe for the first time, confront what we believe and does it make sense of the world? Or another time where we start to think about worldview is, you know what, when we just, we find ourselves bumping into stuff. Like life just isn't working the way we feel like it needs to work. I don't feel a sense of satisfaction. I don't feel a sense of joy. My relationships are kind of falling apart. I just, life just isn't working for me right now. And it's at that point where oftentimes a person who loves us will come alongside of us and say, you know what, maybe the problem is that you need a new set of lenses. Maybe that your frustration and challenges that you're feeling, maybe it's all a result of seeing the world in a particular way that needs to change. Maybe you need to get it reevaluated. Let me quickly summarize some points about worldview before I move on. Three things. Talking about worldview. It changes everything about you. It affects everything about you. First of all, it changes, it affects, it shapes the way that you think, okay? That's the first point. It shapes the way that you think. The way you think about God, the way you think about others, the way that you think about your life, the way you think about ethics, the way you think about what you spend your money on, I mean, the way you think about what movie you should watch or not watch, I mean, it affects everything. It affects the way that you think. worldview. But it also affects who or what you worship, and maybe even more importantly, it affects who or what you worship. Because we are primarily worshiping animals. You have never and you never will meet a, a living human being that doesn't worship something or someone. You say, well, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, or I don't know what I believe about God. Well, listen, you're worshiping something. Every one of us worships something or someone. Every single person gives devotion, adoration, and meaning to something or someone in their lives. It's only a question of which God you're worshiping, not whether or not you worship a God. Paul, in Acts chapter 17, is, he's in Athens, and he's speaking to a crowd of philosophers. And in Acts 17, Paul tells these philosophers, he says that in God, we live and move and have our being which I think is profoundly true, regardless of what God you worship. You live and move and have your being in whatever God you worship. Whatever God you worship will come to shape your life, will come to shape the meaning and the purpose and the hope that you have. We live and move and have our being in our gods. It also, worldview, um, shapes the way that we live. And that is coming back to the Mother Teresa story. She made the choices that she made because she was seeing the world in a particular way. Mother Teresa, this is a point that I try to make with my students as frequently as I can. This is a point that I try to make with our high schoolers whenever I'm teaching them as frequently as I can because I think it's so critically important that we recognize that beliefs have to have consequences The decisions that we make today are the result of the beliefs that we have yesterday. Our beliefs have consequences in our lives. Our worldview affects the decisions that we make. The way we think, talk, act, and live. So here's a question that every preacher needs to ask at some point or another. So what? What's the purpose? Why do we need to spend so much time talking about this? Why do we need to devote an entire series to this? Why do we need to devote Wednesday nights to this topic? Why is this topic so important for us to talk about? And I think there's really two major reasons. There's two reasons why you and I need to have this talk, why you and I need to think about worldview. First reason is this, we need wisdom. We need to have wisdom as we know how to engage the world around us. I don't think there's any doubt that we've been called to engage our world with the gospel. Jesus called us to make disciples. Paul said that we are Christ's ambassadors. Peter said that we are a royal priesthood. Any way you look at it, we do have a responsibility to this world. Heaven forbid that this church or any church forget that mission. We are not here for ourselves. I believe that the truth of Jesus matters for eternity and it matters for all people. I believe against the tide of relativism in our world today that the gospel really does provide the best set of lenses for seeing ourselves and seeing our world. But listen, that doesn't mean that we're better or smarter than other people. Any more than one beggar could be regarded as better than another beggar simply because someone decided to give him food. I believe in the truth of the gospel because the truth of the gospel changes things. I believe that the truth of the gospel revolutionizes and transforms lives. I believe that the truth of the gospel gives us the clearest picture and, the, and brings the, into the sharpest focus our lives and this world that we're living in. But here's, here's the difficulty. Here's the tension. We live in a world and we live in the midst of a culture where there is the deafening, vo, deaf, deafening noise of competing worldviews. All around us are swirling all of these different understandings of seeing the world. And just as an illustration for this, um, when I leave here this morning, I'm going home, and I will sit on the couch for the next six hours. Okay? Sorry, it's gonna happen. Um, And I will watch my beloved bears stop it, um, I will watch them uh, win triumphantly on the field today, I hope. Um, And I know many of you will maybe watch football today as well, or at some point maybe you'll watch TV today. Here's a little exercise that I want to give you, though, as you're watching TV. Pay attention to the commercials. Pay attention to the commercials. And ask yourself this question with every commercial that comes on. What is the definition of the good life according to this commercial? What does the good life really look like? And just ask yourself the question, how does that compare to what the gospel says? See, because if we're not wise, and if we're not careful... We are exposed to all these competing different ways of seeing the world every single day of our lives. And if we're not wise, if we're not careful, we will, without even thinking about it, start to look, act, think, and talk just in exactly the same way the world does. With the one exception that maybe we'll go to church on Sunday morning. But everything else about our worldview has been shaped by the culture that we live in. We've got to be wise. We've got to be discerning. But the other part of that is our friends. Our loved ones, our neighbors, our coworkers they live in this same world, right? And so many of them, they see the world through a radically different set of lenses than I might as a follower of Jesus. Now, if I ever want to have a, a conversation with them about the important things of life, about God, about meaning, about Jesus, if I ever want to have that level of conversation, I've got to be kind of like that eye doctor, I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to first ask them, how do you see the world? You've got to explain it to me. What are your motivations? What are your assumptions? What are your ambitions? You've got to tell me how you're seeing the world before we can have a conversation about how the gospel might be able to bring that into focus. So why do we talk about worldview? We talk about worldview because we need to be wise for engagement in the world. But the second reason that we talk about worldview, the the second reason that we must talk about worldview, is because it ultimately will help us in our discipleship as we follow Jesus. The Greek philosopher, ancient Greek philosopher Socrates, or if you grew up during the time that I grew up, you probably knew him as Socrates. Um, The Greek philosopher Socrates very famously said, the unexamined life is not worth living. You heard that before? The unexamined life is not worth living. Here's what I think he meant by that. That we should have the courage and the boldness to ask difficult questions of our lives. That we should avoid thoughtlessly going through our life, just going through the motions. Have the courage to ask questions that matter. Have the courage to think deep thoughts, to really reflect on your life, to really reflect on what you believe in your life. The unexamined life is not worth living. And I think the Apostle Paul, if the Apostle Paul could have a conversation with Socrates, I think the Apostle Paul would largely agree with what Socrates had to say. At least in this regard. I think Paul would say that you you certainly shouldn't live your life with God as an afterthought. You shouldn't live your life with God as an afterthought. You should ask the questions, what do I believe about God and how does it matter? Why does it matter? Living the examined life. Because there are too many people, listen, and I'm one of them, I'm I'm just going to be upfront and honest. There are too many people that really, if you had to assess or, or recognize what their worldview is, they have a worldview that I call apatheism. Apatheism. Because, you know, if you, if you push me to the wall and you say, what do you believe about God? I would say, yeah, 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 I believe in God and I believe in Jesus and I believe in all this other stuff. And most of, many of us, we're the same way. Like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I mean, that's why I'm here. Or I believe in God. I still have some questions about God, but I believe that God exists. But in our day-to-day life, we really don't give God much thought. We've got other things to think about. We've got other things to worry about. So we're apotheists. God is just kind of somewhere in the background somewhere. Instead of, instead of our beliefs really motivating everything that we do and say, he's just kind of off in the margins. Just kind of off in the margins. And so I think Paul would agree that we've got to be serious in our lives about asking these difficult questions. What do I believe? Why do I believe it? And what difference does it make? But here's the big difference, I think, between Paul and Socrates. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to read a passage for you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Here's what Paul says. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I love that line. I like to spend more time camping out on that line, but don't have time. Power to to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Live and examine life? Oh yes, by all means. But what I think Paul would say is it's not enough simply to live an examined life. An examined life only finds its true significance underneath the lordship of Jesus. Because there are plenty of truths out there that are just pretenders to the throne. Ultimately, it's about submitting my life, the things I think about and the things I do, submitting that all to the lordship of Jesus. Jesus. And that's why we must talk about worldview, because it's not enough simply for us to declare that we believe the gospel. The question that confronts us every day is this: Are we consistently living out the consequences of our belief? Does the gospel really make a difference in the way we see the world? I shared this illustration a while ago from this stage, um, but I was encouraged to use it again today, so so I'm going to. Um, because I think it works. My wife and I, we bought a house. Um, well, about a year and a half ago, we, we moved houses. And um, one of the things that you don't really anticipate when you buy a house is trying to find a, a new place for all of your old junk. And uh, one of the things you discover whenever you move, and some of you have had this, this moment, one of the things you discover when you move is just how much junk you have that you didn't realize you had. And so now, when you buy a new house, you have to figure out where you're going to put all that junk. And I always, I find it kind of ironic. And this is just, uh, I don't know, but I'm weird. But I find this funny. That like, every house has a junk drawer, right? You have a junk drawer. Maybe you have several junk drawers. Maybe you have a junk room. I don't know. Um, But like, everybody has a junk drawer. And so like, one of the conversations that you have when you're moving is, where will our junk drawer now be in the new house? And it's like, weird to me because we've already identified that everything that, exists in that drawer is like, it's junk, right? We've, we've agreed that it's junk, but somehow we have to find another place in our new house to relocate that junk too. It's just kind of funny to me. Um, but another thing that you have to relocate or you have to figure out where they go are your artwork, your pictures, family photos, um, you've got to figure out where they go in your new house. I mean, everything had its proper place in the old house, but now you're, you're forced to, you know, you, can't, it, you look bizarre. You're like walking around the house with paintings, like kind of looking at the walls, like, well, uh, maybe, maybe, this, maybe this could go over here. And so you hang it up, and you kind of live with it. You take a step back. You're like, ah, maybe, maybe not. Let's let's live with it for a few days. Maybe we'll take it down. Maybe we won't. But it's kind of this experimental process, trying to figure out where everything fits. Well, imagine that through some unbelievable, um, uh, uh, lucky scenario, my wife and I were to inherit the statue of David, Michelangelo's statue of David. He's the, the orange ninja turtle guy. Um, Statue of David. Now, this is literally a priceless piece of art. Have you seen it before? It's a priceless piece of art. Now, and, and now it is the sole possession of Chad and Tara Ragsdale, Orinogo, Missouri. We have it. It's ours. You can come see it for 10 bucks a piece. Um, how would we go about situating that in our house, though? Well, I could experiment. Maybe it fits in the living room. But I don't. I don't know. I I gotta see the TV clearly. I mean, I got six hours of football ahead of me. I gotta make sure I can see the TV clearly. Maybe it doesn't fit in the living room. Uh, maybe I don't know. It's kind of unseemly in the kitchen. Doesn't seem like it fits there. Definitely don't want to put it in the kids' room. It's not necessarily rated G. Okay. Um, so don't necessarily want it there. Where do I fit it? And just kind of, you know, and maybe we'll just experiment with it for a while. No, that's not what I would do at all. What do you think I would do if I inherited this literally priceless piece of art? I would reorganize my entire house around this piece of art. Matter of fact, I probably would build a brand new house just so that I could situate it around this piece of art. It doesn't fit in, I fit in around it. And some of us, listen, some of us, the reason why we get frustrated with God, the reason why we go to church week after week after week, and it doesn't seem to make any difference whatsoever, the reason why we struggle with that is because, honestly, we're just trying to find some place for Jesus to fit in. We're just trying to find a place, well, maybe he fits here on Sunday morning, or maybe he fits over here on Wednesday night. We're just trying to find a place that he fits in, instead of reorganizing our entire life around him. Jesus is either going to be Lord of all or he's not going to be Lord at all. And when Paul says, take every thought captive and make it submissive to Christ, what he's talking about really is lordship. Does Jesus have lordship over your life? Are you living, here's the question, are you living consistently according to your beliefs? So here's my challenge. It's a two-fold challenge. First challenge is, what do you believe? I mean, it got to start there, right? The examined life. What do you believe? Really? And why do you believe it? But the second question is, does it matter? What are the consequences of those beliefs? When you put on the gospel lenses, or whatever lenses you happen to be wearing, how does it cause you to see the world in a different way? Does the gospel change the way that you see your coworkers? Does the gospel change the things that you choose to spend your money on? Does the gospel change your schedule? The things that you do as a family or the things maybe that you don't decide to do as a family? Does the gospel lens... Do you you see the news of the day through the gospel lens? Do you interpret the events of our world through the gospel lens? Do your beliefs